Part nineteen of Thorstein of the Mere by W. G. Collingwood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter forty eight The Storm of the Lawburg. At Legbethwaite, the morning was wild. The wind had risen in the night and brought rain. The clouds were low, raking along the fell sides, and one could hardly see the crags across the valley for greyness. The all thing was not yet hallowed, for the Northmen were not met together. Some early comers had arrived and spent the night in their booths, rough hut walls, unroofed, put up of old to serve for lodging at these summer meetings, and covered, when the time was, with tent cloths cast over them. A group of elder men sat talking in the rain, others were setting up the bounds of the doom ring, driving in the posts with pick and mallet and cutting hazel-poles in the copse hard by to lay across from stake to stake. Others were repairing the winter's damage to the turf seats within the ring, where the chiefs and the jurymen were to sit. Down from Helvellyn's side, through the driving rain, crept a battered man, slowly working his way among the boulders of the slope. He dragged himself up to the group of elders, and they saw that he was newly wounded, and fordone with toil and travel. Then said one, This is Thorstein Swainson of the Mere, he that slew his brother. Away, fellow, the place is not hallowed yet. There's no peace to be got now for such as thee. Said another, Let be, the woodbider is not here for naught, and maybe has a story to tell. But he gaped upon them, and could not speak, so they gave him to drink. Thanks, friend, he said. Neighbours, do with me as you will, but hear me. Domnail is fleeing before the Saxons. He is upon us even now. Last night I saw two of his men. They had fled to their home in the fells. They said that Edmund and the English king was at Domnail's heels, and with him Malcolm the Scot, and Clewellyn of Wales with a great multitude. Domnail was for leading them hither, to entrap them if he could, or to escape into the mountains. I have fled night long over yon high fells to bring the news, and I have seen them. On the top of the mountains I saw the host pursuing and pursued. Whether it was a vision I cannot tell, but the tidings are truth. Here be fine dreams, said the first speaker, and midsummer madness. Dreams or no dreams, the man is spent with travel and battered, and he gives his head into our hands for the sake of the tidings. We shall soon see whether they be true. Meanwhile, my lad, come into my booth and be fed. Thorstein had hardly brought hand to mouth when there was a stir without, and the foremost flyers of Domnail's army came by. They were the guard of the king's wife and children, and a troop of pack-horses with them, heavily laden, maybe with treasure. They made no stay but for a hasty word, and away toward the city of Helvellyn. The Northmen, taking short counsel together, agreed to draw out of their booths, and to make a stand upon the thing-mount, and so abide what might happen. Why they should thus meddle, when they might have escaped with the foremost flyers, or easily hidden in the woods, who can say, except that they were bred fighting men, and thought scorn to leave their own thingstead without so much as a stroke. So there in battle array they stood on their mound, where the four dales met, and the great crags around. Over against them the path crept by the skirts of the fells. 
on this side the Greta, and on that Helvellyn Beck, and the clouds flying low, and the rain driving. Out of the mist came the flyers, horse galloping and foot running, whoever was sound and unwounded outpacing his fellows as they streamed up the road and into the mist again. Then came the wearied men, some of them wounded, and some scant of breath and half blind with toil and with watching under arms, pushing and pressing along the narrow path. Here and there, one falling with a groan and kicked out of the way into the river, or screaming as the horses stamped the life out of him. And so they swept past, while the Northmen cried to them across the dale to turn and stand by their friends. Then there was a pause, and the sound of the pursuers shouting along the vale of St. John, and presently their vanguard was seen pressing along the road. Welsh they were, of Clewellyn's company, to whom the foremost place had been given in this enterprise, because they were mountain men, and led where the lowlanders, with all the fire of the chase, sometimes held back from following. When they came to the place where they could see the Northmen in array on the how, they were brought to a standstill, and fresh comers behind them crowded at their rear, like the wreckage of a streaming flood, when one great bough is held fast at a force-head. Then they crossed the flat field, and stood on the bank of Helvellyn Beck, and cried to the Northmen to come down and yield themselves. But the Northmen shouted in answer, and gave them a flight of spears, and when the spears were spent, stones and the turf of the thing-seats, and everything that was handy. Soon the Welshmen, seeing how few they had to deal with, and how many of their own men had come up by this time, took heart and rushed up the bank shoulder to shoulder. But along the bank-top it was shield to shield, and a line of whirling blades, and down the wave rolled again. By this time the main army was coming up, and the cry was for bowmen, for in those days it was not as it was in later times, when every English foot-soldier carried his long-bow. Spear to throw and axe to hew with were their main weapons. The Welsh stood aside, and a file of archers passed through the host, and formed in a line on the thing-field, while the rest ransacked the booths. Together the bowmen drew their bows, and at a shout of command to let fly, the Northmen fell flat under their shields, and the flight of arrows hurtled over them. But while this was going forward, behind the line of archers, other companies crept this way and that, and through the cover of the wood on Great Howe, other bowmen climbed up to take advantage of the higher ground, and to get the Northmen below them, and soon there was a rattling on shield and helm and coat of mail. When the enemy saw that they were beginning to be discomfited, spears were levelled, and up they rushed in a thick throng on all sides at once, man pressing man from behind, so that there was no turning nor fleeing. Down went the first comers all round the line of red blades, but the shield that Thorstein had carried and lost, and saved again, was burst through, and a broken shaft left in it, and the strap was riven. He took it in both hands and hurled it edgewise, and shouted when it caught a big fellow in the teeth, and drove him backwards into the thick of the crowd below. "'Well thrown, Woodbider,' said his next neighbour. "'I'll be thy shield, man, this home gang.' And he caught a stroke on his target, and Thorstein leapt out from behind him, and cut down the man who had given it. So it was hand to hand and sword to spear for a while, 
over the ring of fallen bodies but the northmen shook them off and thrust them down the brink again then one upon the thingstead began to sing and then another in staves of verse that seemed to set their fellows hearts on fire they shouted at their foes giving them every ill name and stinging jest that might prick them to a new attack but the only answer was the hail of arrows from above and if the rain washed the northmen white there was red enough running to knead it hardly one among them but had some hurt thorstein who was no whole man to start with and ill clad for this play was the worse for more than a scratch neighbours said he why are we standing still to be shot down like deer then forth he leapt and down the slope hewing right and left and leaving a lane through the crowd his friends followed close in a band and the enemy drew back before them and closed behind them the northmen were like a wild beast in a net look you there said thorstein holding out a bladeless hilt was ever such rotten iron it has done a day's work said his friend with the shield nay not a forenoons he sat down upon a stone his friend took him under the shoulder to lift him on we shall win through yet said he but thorstein fell over on the red grass let be said the elder who had known him at the first he has got his peace forward all chapter forty nine dunmail rise king edmund stood upon the brink of thirlmere and scanned the shore on either side his enemies had vanished as if by art magic there lay the path running down to the ford and up again on the farther side and it could be traced winding under the terrible crags whose tops were lost in clouds and away into huge headlands and shaggy promontories plunging into the water one beyond another until they faded afar in the rain and mist on this hand king malcolm and on that hand king Llewellyn were instant to go forward and follow the road but the lowland king brave as he was in a fight and bold in counsel hung back from the attempt and from following unseen foes into unknown fastnesses while they talked across the wath came two or three men gaunt and red-bearded and clothed in skins they waved their hands above their heads as if to signify that they came in peace and the king bade bring them before him at their first words king said malcolm these are folk of mine or should be for it is our tongue they have let me be interpreter then the fell folk told the kings that domhnail and his men were lurking in the woods ready to roll rocks upon their enemies but they could show the saxons how to get the better of the ambush asked by what device they said that fell climbers could reach the top of the brow under which domhnail lay and once there a few men could roll rocks on him as he had meant to roll rocks upon the saxons and then the main army could pursue them along the road which was no worse than that by which they had come and a good counsel it is king said malcolm when he had interpreted and one that we use often in our mountain warfare give the business into my hand and you shall see them swarm out of the woods like ants out of a stirred ant-hill but what faith can we put in the word of these savages asked edmund they said proudly that it was so as they had spoken and they were at the hand of the kings to reward or to slay and beside that said one of them with a scowl 
we have an old grudge of our own to settle with Domnail. So the army moved over the wath, and the main body halted on the road, ready for the chase when the game was beaten out of cover. Malcolm, with a band of mountain men, guided by the red folk, climbed the brow of Armboth Fell, and when they were at the top, set to work heaving rocks over the edge. There was a crashing among trees, and shouts and shrieks, and presently men were beheld fleeing down the screes among the woods, and the great stones whirling down after them. Such as got away streamed out into the road, and fled along it up and down, like worms out of a dunghill when it is beaten to get baits. Then the trumpets were blown that should signal to the men above to leave their work, and forth marched the army in hot pursuit, along the path and along the low foreshore of the lake, and then mounting over the crags where they were high, and descending again among rocks and cliffs and wildwood that overhung the length of the lake. And at last they looked down upon the city of Helvellyn. Here for a while they were brought to a stand. The walls of great stones and the swampy flats on one side of it threatened to hold them longer than they liked. The day was wearing, and if the nut were cracked, the kernel was not eaten yet. So they took up their stand on the high ground between the city and the fell, and the trumpets sounded an assault. Then there was shouting and a terrible cry that rose to Helvellyn top as the Saxons clambered up the rugged wall in throngs and leapt over, bearing down the defenders and slaughtering all before them. Domnail's wife and his two children were taken, but for the rest it was kill and slay, as men ransacked the rude cots within the walls for their enemies, and hewed them down where they found them. But while all this was going forward, a band of men was spied making away along the fell side. They had escaped by the farther gate and along the road, and the freshest of the Saxons who were still outside the walls, and the fleetest of their horsemen were sent in pursuit. But the road was rugged and difficult as ever, and if they came up with one party and brought it to bay, it was but to waste time, and the rest had the better start of them. And so the battle went on, at every beck to be forded, and every rock to be passed, and especially where the great tongue of land at the foot of the steel fell stands across the valley, like a twin wall of huge earthworks cast up by giants long ago. The foremost of the flyers was Domnail himself, running for dear life up the long slope of the pass. He was alone now and on foot. One horse after another had fallen under him, and of all the army he had led out to its ruin, not one was there to stand by him. This man had come between him and the spear that threatened him. That one had turned back to keep the hunters in play. They were gone now, but he was still a king, if the crown on his helmet could make him one and he bethought him of hiding among the moors and rocks, anywhere like a wild beast, and he peered this way and that, through the rain as he ran, with none following. Escaped, he hoped, at last. He neared the brow of the hill. Soon it would be down bank and away. Surely some woodland dweller would harbour him. Under a hawthorn tree at the summit sat a woman, with long golden hair lank in the rain, and green gown wet, and clinging to her sides. Hard-featured and fierce she looked, strange as she rose and stood before him in the way, 
he dashed at her blindly with his sword but she caught his hand and as he stumbled at her feet the crown fell from his helmet clattering on the stones of the path she took it up and weighed it in her hand domnail she said it is mine at last then oh alluin he cried save me hide me she led him by a roaring stream and up a steep narrow gill away from the valley and the shouts of the pursuers aloft into the cloud it was but a step and they came to a black water shoreless beyond for the rain mist as he sank down outwearied she flung the golden thing into the dark tarn it is safe there she said and there they say the crown of cumbria lies to this hour in the depths of grisdale tarn domnail passed away into the cloud and was seen no more in these parts folk might well believe him to be dead or gone to fairyland whether his flight was spied by some of the northmen coming over dunmail rays towards the all thing which they never held or howsoever it might have been told the place kept his name changed but a little in alien mouths and still haunted they say by the fleeing king and the fairy maid flitting before him chapter fifty the peace of thorstein terrible was the tale they brought to hogan about the storm of the lawberg and the death of thorstein and his fellows though indeed not all of them perished hopeless as it seemed some of that band had cut their way through the saxon army and escaped into hiding among the rocks and woods on brackmere bank and some that had been left for dead had been found by their friends when the storm was over and taken up and healed of their wounds but not thorstein he lay where he fell within a step of the spot where he had slain his brother they gave him his peace late as it was for it was not too late to let his children inherit the land he had taken around thurston water hundy and rod manny and the rest of their kinsmen and neighbours came together and rebuilt the homestead at blawith freely giving their labour as the custom was and over and above their labour each comer gave a share toward the things that were needed to keep house and farm so that with what she had and what she got Raniac lacked neither servants nor stock, furniture within, nor gear without. They brought her from the island, and bade her dwell in peace on the land that was hers and her children's. Many a time came to her, one and another, who would gladly have cast in his lot with them for her sake, but she said nay to all. After a while she sent for a priest, and built him a church at Blaweth, that she might bring up her household in the right faith and fear of god and before yule she was the mother of a third son to thorstein whom she called cartney after her father for he was red-haired and long-limbed thorstein of the mere will not want for sons to avenge him said folk when they came to see her nay she said he has found his peace let us keep it but a twelvemonth had not gone by after the battle and midsummer was not yet come when they heard tidings of the death of edmund in his own hall at a feast by the hands of an outlaw the north folk looked at one another as much as to say it was but his due vengeance had come upon him already for the strife he had stirred up and especially for the sackless and innocent men 
who had fallen with Thorstein Swainson in the war upon Cumberland. But the Northmen continued in their homes, by Firth and Fell, spite of York earls and Scottish kings. For yet a hundred years and more they kept their freedom. Their own laws they made at their all-thing, now in one spot, now in another, shifted westward, maybe, to Little Langdale after Thored's ravaging of Westmoreland, and southward after Ethelred's harrying of Cumberland. Even when the Normans had brought all this border country under the feudal yoke, still for many a hundred years the Dalesmen, children of the Vikings, used to meet at the steading stone by Thirlmere Wath, and kept alive some smouldering memory of their birthright in the country penalties of Withburn. And everywhere they still have their old manners and their old speech, changing little of either, and that but slowly. The Blawith house endured, its children lived long in the land. When they increased so that Blawith was too small for them, across the crake they built a strong place, and called it the New Burg, and the ground that it stood in, Newbethwaite. Neighbours by-named them the Redheads of Nibthwaite, maybe because they took after their kinsmen of the fells. There they dwelt, a great family, for many a generation, and thereabouts they dwell even to this day. For in these dales the dream of honour came true, that saw love abiding and labour continuing, heedless of glory and fearless of death. So ends the story of Thorstein. End of Thorstein of the Mere by W. G. Collingwood